Okay, we're live. Welcome back to the Magic Minds podcast. I'm Matt Bourke. If you're a new listener, you're very welcome. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. Jesus Christ, I sound like Joe Duffy. Good afternoon to you, Kay. How are you, Joe? Long-time listener, first-time caller. I need to sort that out. Anyway, welcome back to the podcast, or welcome to the podcast, whatever. Um, got some great feedback about the podcast last week with Craig Coakley. Um, a good few people got in contact with me from the fighting community and said that they were impressed. They really liked the interview. I probably didn't say it last week. You know, I have this newfound respect. I've always had a huge respect for combat sports people. I have huge respect for anyone that plays sports or any kind of professional. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing, the achievements. But combat sports, you know, I've said it to Dr. Jules Dalby before. They just don't get enough money for the risk that they take you know i work in brain injury rehabilitation so i see the the daily struggles of somebody that has had uh head trauma and look you can't get away from if you're in that sport you're gonna get head trauma no matter what so i think whatever time they get in the ring whatever kind of level they're at they should get a certain amount of money and a, a lot of the fucking thing absolutely a lot of money and i don't think they get enough as craig was saying last week that some of them barely clear their medical bills just to get in and have a fight to me that's absolutely nuts the risks that they're putting their life at on their brain to get that minimal amount of money it's just shocking it's just shocking i just think you know you think about footballers and i'm not having a go footballers or other sports people they get phenomenal amount of money and they don't put out as much risk yeah the skill involved and the sponsors and all that kind of malarkey but the risk that they have to go under to be a boxer in comparison to football or other sports it's nowhere near it so it's something that needs to be looked at sponsors need to look at it promoters need to look at it they need to get more money they really really do anyway but sure look no matter what they'd still go out and uh, apply their trade to their profession because they love it you know and Craig absolutely loves it it's it's, it's part of his uh, his fabric now, I think, you know, he just loves the sport, loves combat sports. Yeah, so it's deadly. It was brilliant to spend some time with him. So it was great uh, to get feedback from the uh, fighting community and other people. They really liked the interview. They liked the style. So I was delighted to hear that. Thanks very much. But please give us an L review on iTunes. We need to get the reviews on iTunes, you know. And anyways, just keep enjoying the show, if anything. Okay, so on the show today, I have Dr. Eva Doherty, clinical psychologist in the Royal College of Surgeons. Eva gave a presentation in the National Rehabilitation Hospital a couple of months ago, and I loved it. Very similar to the style of Dr. Jerry Collerman, he was my lecturer in Tala. She just brings a difficult subject with great simplicity, and she used a lot of cartoon analogies. And you know, it is a, a difficult subject for somebody emotional intelligence. That's the presentation she spoke about. So I asked her to come on the show today through her friend Maeve Nolan, who got in contact with me, so we could talk about stuff such as emotional intelligence and communications and i believe that the that the foundation cornerstones of developing good work and personal relationships you know if you have a good handle of those two things you're on the the way to success so we that's what we sat down and had a chat about today and our own work in the royal college of surgeons she's director of the human factors for patient safety that's a really really interesting subject and again she's running out pilots on communication so we touch on all that kind of stuff and kind of i throw in my own tuppence worth what my understanding of emotional intelligence is you know i thought i was quite 
high up on the scale of IQ, uh, EQ, sorry, EQ, emotional intelligence. Uh, but I'm not, I'm still working on it and I think we all should be mindful of it. So look, have a listen to the podcast and let us know what you think. Uh, as always, I want to thank Noel Royley from Rooney Graphics. If you have any uh, graphic design needs, posters, uh, uh, prospectus for colleges, work, whatever, uh, coverings for vans, anything. They do all that kind of stuff. They're in the business now, maybe 20, 30 years. For more years than you care to remember. I think that's a slogan from some of them after just plagiarizing. But Rooney Graphics, check them out. Check them out. They're on Instagram. I think they're on Twitter now. And yeah, I'll have the show notes up there. Also, my own pal, Carolyn Harvey, ISA Nutrition. Uh, making great waves in the boxing community you know she's helping young sports athletes achieve their weight in boxing without starvation without hydration so she's changing the the culture of boxing in 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 the clubs that she's working at she's with white church boxing up there in raffarnham and um, she's also helped me get through a, a fat loss program i think i've done 18 19 weeks for one of the most easiest cuts i've ever had yeah, it was kind of difficult just to, to stick the task and apply it, but generally it was easy. Our approach is excellent. So if you have any interest in nutrition, whether it be weight loss, muscle gain, or just maintaining an optimal health, get in contact with ISA Nutrition. As like Rooney Graphics, the notes, the show notes will have their details. Yeah, so as always, I'll say to you, mind your little self, practice empathy and compassion towards yourself so you are a decent human being for the rest of the world so enjoy the eva doherty podcasts and i will catch you all later have a great day bye bye okay so we're live welcome back to the magic minds podcast i'm matt bork my special guest on the show today is dr eva doherty eva how are you doing very well thank you delighted to be here delighted to be doing this with you looking forward to what we're going to talk about me too. I'm absolutely so excited. I love the whole topic that we're going to get into. Uh, Dr. Eva Doherty is a clinical psychologist at the Royal College of Surgeons in Dublin. There's one in England, but no, she's with the special one in Ireland. She's also a lecturer and a director at the Human Factors in Patient Safety. We're going to get into that in a few minutes. It sounds fascinating. Everything that she does. You've got a CV, I think, would fill this table. I was reading reading stuff on you the last couple of days, your website and all, which is brilliant. Some great hints and tips all around mental health and well-being and emotional tendencies. We, we'll touch on all that a bit. Could you just give us a little insight to, to your background, please? Okay, so clinical psychologist, as you said, um, I did all my most of my training in UCD um, in the late 70s, early 80s, always been fascinated by what makes people tick um, and very fascinated about emotions and the interplay of emotions and thoughts and people's behavior. And so um, I kind of have two roles now. I have um, you know my role in human factors and patient safety at the College of Surgeons as you said and then I also have a practice also so I work with adults who are experiencing difficulties uh, with their emotions really and helping them to understand them better and helping them to understand why they feel what they feel and why you know they might have the difficulties that they have and trying to puzzle that out and unravel it so um, yeah so that whole area has always fascinated me yeah so what took you i know you're saying your interest and why people do what they do in a feeling 
why what took you down that road what gave you the grow for it was that did that come at an early age or uh probably yeah my mother um specialized in early preschool education and she was one of the first people to have a preschool playgroup um from the 60s i think probably was late 60s she opened it up so would have been exposed to you know the whole education area you know developing people from an early age that's probably what got me interested in psychology i thought i might do speech therapy for a while actually and then i decided i fancied going to university so switched to psychology and um i i remember um you know the early days in college and discovering developmental psychology and that really fascinated me you know the fact that there were theories about um how you know what people's really early environment is like and how that can um you know predispose them either in a positive or in a negative way all through the rest of their life and um you know and just discovering all the theories um about early childhood development you know i I just loved all that the whole concept of nature and nurture exactly you are the product of your environment well are you that's the big sixty thousand dollar question in fact when i was studying psychology um you know we thought that environment was a lot more of an influencer than than we think now you know we we have i think we have a more healthy respect for our um genetic makeup now and um we've got more evidence for that as well yeah Mm. so yeah it seems like uh, you know there's maybe you know more of the answers can be found in in what we've inherited you know from our our genetic deep uh, yeah. predisposition exactly yeah 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 i mean certainly in the whole area of personality you know there's what they call the f- the big five so there are like big five personality traits that are very much inherited um and what are they, they? yeah so a good mnemonic to use to remember is ocean O C E A N. So O is stands for openness. So that's really um, that. That's kind of you know your sort of your curiosity in life. How you know how intellectually curious you are is maybe the best way to describe it. And then C stands for conscientiousness. So people might also call that perfectionism. You know. So are you the kind of person who's into the detail? You know, do you like to cross all the T's and dot out all the I's? Do things need to be, you know, done really well? Um, and then E is extroversion. Introversion is the opposite end of that. And people think that has to do with sociability, but it doesn't. It actually has to do with how much kind of internal activity is going on. So in terms of the way you think, the way you solve problems, uh, the way you relate to the world. So I'm a very strong extrovert. So in other words, I figure things out with people. Um, so you know that would be my way Um, so I love meetings I love that's probably why I teach you know because I love you know being with people and relating with them people who are very strongly introverted there's an awful lot of activity going on internally Mm -hmm. and that's why you know they very much they like to solve problems often on their own Um, and say for example an idea of the best way they relax is by being by themselves you know whereas for an extrovert the best way they like to relax is with others. Um, okay. Yeah. Fascinating. So that's the E one. And then um, the A one, I am currently forgetting. But anyway, it'll come back to me. I'll go. The N is, the N is um, assertive, is, is neuroticism, which isn't really a great word. It's kind of fallen into disrepute, I think, over the years. But essentially it means, are, is somebody a worrier? 
um, you know, there are we all can think of people who are constantly worrying, you know, and and people will vary along that, you know, spectrum. So that's the N. And then the A has come back to me. It's agreeableness. So that is sociability. So people who are high on agreeableness, um, they're very, very social um, they'll be the centre of the party. They're, you know, they always want to be talking and finding out about people. So, yeah, so those five traits are very inherited. And so you can tell those things in in people from a very young age and it doesn't really change. You know, people who were highly extrovert from childhood, they'll remain like that. It's and, not and changeable. So it's just it's inherent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that you say about the end, the warrior. I mm. thought that because I am in training. I'm a warrior. My mum's a warrior. And yeah. God bless her poor little heart. I blamed her. And I said, you gave me this infliction. <laughs> and now we've given it to our grandchildren. Uh, but you think it's a predisposition? predisposition yeah most likely oh, it is. Shit. i have to go back and say sorry now <laughs> you didn't now wreck me it, it kind of is the sixty thousand dollar question there because we don't really know exactly although well we sort of do i mean in 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 they've studied twins so twins are so we're separated at birth and and you know grow up in different families and definitely there's very strong evidence that you know the ones who have inherited the worrying trait you know that can be seen to to go on but wow uh, at the same time we also know that you know growing up with someone who is a worrier that can definitely you know kind of you can you can soak that up you yeah. know what i mean because you, you you have the feeling oh maybe the world is not as reliable perhaps as i might like to think you know maybe bad things you know could happen or will happen so it's tricky to to say whether it has to do with you know your mother's worrying that you saw or or the gene that she passed on to you 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 know in an individual you wouldn't know for sure maybe it's me just projecting i'm just looking for someone to blame (laughs) instead of looking inside can you tell me a little about uh, i was intrigued reading about the the human factors for patient safety yeah Uh, give us a little insight to that because I was looking at some of the stuff last night. Yeah, so human factors is a science uh, that has um, it kind of originally started in the seventies, and it um, it came about really in response to um, in the world of aviation, where as you know the planes got more sophisticated, um, and as if you like an expectation was there that okay you know the better we get at making these planes the better they're going to work the less likely there'll be air disasters you know the planes won't crash and what they sort of discovered and there was a there was a an awful accident in the late 70s that cemented all this but really the realization uh came along in in aviation is that you can have you know the the most amazing airplane from a technical point of view but if you don't have the team working together uh, efficiently and if you don't look after the human factors so the personalities of the crew um, the way they go about things um, the systems that they follow the protocols if they are not 100% then that puts the whole plane in danger and 70% of the time when when there is an air disaster it'll be because of these human factors um, and there was you know very very famous crash in Tenerife in 1977 where it still is the biggest disaster of all time if you don't count 9-11 there was almost 600 people were killed and um, they reckoned um, that um, the major major factors was the communication between air traffic control and the pilots 
Um, there were other very important factors. The weather was very poor. It was very foggy. There were too many planes in, in that airport. There'd been a bomb scare in a nearby airport, so they'd all been rerouted there. But one of the really important factors was the personality of the pilot um, and how anxious he was and how tense he was and how irritable he was and how the rest of the crew were afraid to assert themselves with him and they were afraid to say, I don't think we've got clearance to take off. And unfortunately, he took off He, he took off, and he crashed into another plane on the runway that he couldn't see because of the fog. Um, and that really was the beginnings of the human factor science. And now it's been implemented in healthcare because now we're, 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 we've discovered the same thing. We've discovered that um, oftentimes when thing go, things go wrong in healthcare, in hospitals, a lot of the time people will say it's 70% again. Um, it is because of these human factors. It is because teams aren't communicating with each other properly individuals aren't communicating with each other personalities are getting in the way uh, behavior is getting in the way people are being disruptive um, there's a lot of conflict going on um, or as I say communication is you know the biggest reason or maybe the communication even between the clinicians and the patients and the family uh, you know is not as it should be or perhaps people aren't listening to the patients or aren't listening to the families you know, and realizing maybe that a patient is deteriorating, so many reasons. But it's that's all of the human factors, if you like. In addition to the way that the individuals will relate to the technology, you know, that would be part of it also. Of course, but it'd be easy to blame. Oh, it was a, it was a breakdown in this part? Was that part? But our blind spot, as you would say, it's the communication. It's the stuff we can't really see. It's not very tangible. Exactly. It's our perception. Mm. It's our relationships with one another. Yeah stops us going there to say here Mike I think you're not having a great day let's not go here but you're going no I can't really say that to him today absolutely and I think you know you only have to look at our recent you know rugby win you know against New Zealand and realize the power of self-belief the power of a team working together really well um and you know and I'm I you know I'm even fascinated things like Formula One racing where, you know, it's not that long ago when, when they were changing the fuel and the tyres in eight seconds, and now they have it down to two seconds. And, you know, that's all to do with, you know, just getting better and better and better and better and just more efficient all the time. And and communicating really mm. well. And if I look back on any relationships, professionally and personally, or think about other relationships that have broke down, it's due to either poor communication mm. or, again, on my behalf probably, emotional intelligence mm -hmm. i'm okay with it at an intellectual level but subconsciously i don't think i'm as intelligent as i would like to be okay and these are things i don't think we take we we, we we factor in yeah and emotional intelligence is my favorite um area <laughs> me <and> too that's <laughs> why i'm here that's why i'm here so, i can't do a specialist and what's what's brilliant is that it's becoming so in in schools now uh you know i think when you and i were in school i don't think anybody ever ran a class on on emotions and you know told us anything about that whereas in the schools now triggered by the the pixar movie inside out but there are schools now which are running classes all about emotions and giving children you know ways of understanding them ways of managing them and i think that is going to pay off you know uh, so much in the future because um i think so you know so much of what we see now with um you know, people having behavior problems and addictive problems and problems with anxiety and depression. 
That's all about emotions. That's Unbelievable. That I'm only coming into my 40s. Oh no, I'm just, what am I talking about? I'm in my 40s and I'm only getting a grasp of it. I wasn't in my uh, vocabulary years ago. It wasn't mm. anywhere. I've I never even heard of it. And mm. not just because I was a male. It's not that, it's not a sex thing. I just think it just wasn't around and it's beautiful now to hear it, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. And I think, like I always ask this question and maybe your readers would like to ask themselves this question when I put it to you, you know, if I was to say to you, do you think emotions are simple things or complicated things? What would you say? On a on an intellectual level, I would say, yeah, they look really simple. But from my experience, they can be very complex. They can be very overriding. They can be, you can think they're one thing and then they might be another. And that would be depending on the environment, what's happened at the time. Yeah, you can try intellectualize it. It's very hard and I'm kind of in tune with my feelings inside. Sometimes I'm not, not so sure. Yeah. Is this fear? Is this shame? Is this, you know, all these kind of things. Yeah, that's right. And I think most people, when you ask that, ask them that question, they will think it's very complicated because it leads to very complicated situations. Okay. And all kinds of complexities, you know, therein. But actually, you know, most of our emotional functioning, and this is a little bit simplistic, but most of our emotional functioning is coming from our, you know, much more primitive parts of our brain, our limbic system. And that's the part of the brain we share with animals. So, you know, if you if you have a pet or your listeners have pets, if they just think about it, you know, they know what a an angry cat looks like or they know what a sad, depressed dog looks like. You know, animals have feelings and we have feelings, but it's all going on essentially in our primitive, sometimes called mammalian reptilian brain yeah, and yeah. Um, not the cleverest bit of our brain, the simpler part of our brain. And uh, now there is emotional functioning going on in other areas of, of the brain in the more sophisticated areas too. But the amygdala, so that's a tiny little organ in the very, very center of our brain. Um, that's where fear, uh, you know, um, is processed, if you like. And that little organ, we used to think that that only got the kind of scary information. But actually now we know that every single bit of information that goes into our brain gets checked out by the amygdala first. So it's kind of like a security man standing at the front door, you know, it just checks out everything for threat. And it makes sense that because it's protective. So, you know, there's a guy called Paul Ekman that the Pixar people base their movie uh, on. And he's he's spent his whole life looking into this whole area and trying to find out, you know, are there a core uh, number of emotions that you can identify and he said yes there are and you can identify through people's facial expressions Um, he decided there were six other people would disagree maybe say there's more than that you mentioned shame that's kind of a controversial one Um, and so there are six emotions and so most of them are not pleasant you know so there's the only really sort of pleasant one emotion that we have is happy or joy you know that's a nice pleasant feeling the other one that's kind of half and half and they didn't put this in the Pixar movie probably because it was a bit too difficult to portray in, in a character but the other one is surprise and if it's a nice surprise obviously that's a pleasant feeling and if it's not a nice surprise it's shock so that's not pleasant okay. and then all the others are not pleasant so anger isn't pleasant you know fear isn't pleasant sadness isn't pleasant and the other one is disgust and that's not they're not pleasant and each one of those emotions all mean something very specific. So it's a real handy way of understanding people is by figuring out well, what's the emotion here? What's the blend of emotions? And 
So that gives you clues then straight away as to what could be the, the issue. Wow, wow, wow. How would you define a, a, how would you define emotional intelligence? So emotional intelligence is the is really what we're talking about. It's the ability to uh, recognize emotions, to understand uh, what they mean, and then to be able to manage those responses in oneself and in others. And um, that's the hardest part. That last bit. That's the bit that you know people sometimes fall down on is using your emotional responses using the emotional responses of others to uh, direct your strategy you know what are we going to do here how are we going to you know solve a problem going okay. on on the emotions it's kind of a little bit like going with your gut you know and i think everybody can recognize that there have been times when they've made a decision and it their gut was telling them something different and actually they realize afterwards I should have gone with my gut there. You know, I knew that wasn't going to be right for me. Me too. I've done a lot of that and I tried to intellectualize and went with the intellectual thought process. Mm. And when I look back, man, it was telling me. It was sitting right there and I, mm-hmm. I, I ignored it. I tried mm. to intellectualize it and I just went with that because it yeah. was, sounded rational. Yeah, yeah, that's right. How influential is it, uh, emotional intelligence in relationships? How impactful and well emotion and intelligence in relationships they go hand in hand i think the more um, emotionally intelligent you are the mo- more emotionally aware you are the more the more relationships are going to be satisfactory for you i think if if you're not so sure about emotions you don't really they're a bit of a puzzle maybe you don't get them maybe you're not comfortable with them i think relationships are you know going to tend to be a bit of a challenge you know things are going to keep presenting and you're going to feel like you're in a bit of a fuzz and you're not really sure and you know you're a bit blind and this is all a bit confusing and um so yeah because you know if we're say for example i find that the emotion that causes people the most trouble in a relationship is anger and that's usually why people come to me for help is because they're either too angry or else they're not angry enough you know they've been burying their anger and okay that's interesting and there's always a price to pay for that um and i think you know we getting back to sort of early our early development i think you know we're it's very hard to know how to socialize anger in a child you know how do you you know it's okay when a child is sad you know we can comfort them and we can get them to talk to us about it and they can have a little cry we can put them on our knee and make it all better but with an angry child that's hard to manage and in fact it's funny it's the it's the exact same principle is required you know they still need to be taken up probably put in your knee and they still need to talk about it Absolutely. but i think sometimes we often give out to a child or yeah. you know we put them on the naughty step or something like that and yeah. um, that's not you know the best thing for them i think you know they need to learn how to talk their anger through because what anger always means anger always means that something that we need is being blocked from us in whatever way. We um, need to get to the why. What's going on at exactly. that level? Exactly. What's the need? What is it that I need? What is it that this child needs um, that they're not getting? Um, and then you go from there. Yeah, and as, as I read, on, there was a great quote on your website, nothing is either good nor bad. It mm. just is, isn't it? Like, and, But people try anger as something they don't want to be in the kids. They want them to be happy and it's okay if they're sad, but we try to stop the anger. Yeah, yeah. And that's confusing for kids, I'm sure. Yeah. And so the second bit of that, nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. I love that. That's Shakespeare. And um, 
he what he's really getting at there is that you know it all has it all comes down to our perception so that's the important thing you know when when you want to learn how to manage your emotions it's not about telling yourself to snap out of something or it's not about saying oh I shouldn't be feeling like this it's more about looking to see well what are the thoughts going around in my head what am I actually thinking because that information is being relayed into our um, limbic system or simple part of our brain some people say we have two brains we have like our limbic system then we have this other brain um, and our limbic system is getting this information and it's either going to be something to do with you know my needs are not being met or I'm you know I'm 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 missing something I feel I'm feeling the loss of something you know I'm not getting something or you know I'm, I'm, I'm failing at something something like that or it might be that you know our our values are are not being upheld maybe we're seeing hypocrisy and maybe we're saying this is wrong it's not right that will usually engender a feeling of disgust it's always about values um and so it's about looking at what are the messages and looking to see now are those messages um realistic representations of what's really going on or could they be irrational could they be could it be that I don't have evidence? Could it be that, for example, if I'm feeling very stressed and very afraid, could it be that I'm predicting into the future? Could it be that I'm telling myself that tomorrow's going to be a nightmare or next week's going to be awful or whatever it might be? And of course, we can't ever do that. Can't predict the future effectively or else we'd all buy lotto tickets and <laughs> all would be well in the world. Yes. Not, but anyway. Um, and so, and or maybe it is that you know, we're just being very, you know, we're just filtering out certain bits of information and we're ignoring other bits of information. Maybe we're reading people's minds, which you can't do either. Mm. You know, there's loads of kind of thinking errors that we can make. And so the key is to address those thought errors and only stick with what you have evidence for. And then your emotional reactions will catch up. Absolutely. And then you'll feel different. I've, I have found if I become aware or I'm aware I watch my emotions and I ask what's going on like what you just said that was mm. just like a news flash and I was like I do this and I'm like, what's going on for me here when I'm, I'm having a relationship with somebody even the job my manager or my co-workers and I'm getting agitated or triggered I observe what's going on in me I go why is this happening but I, I think that might be a blind spot for a lot of people and they just get sucked up you made me feel angry you made me feel disgusted you yeah. you 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 instead of going oi why am i that's it and there's some interesting evidence to show that the younger generations so generation y generation x and the millennials um that they they may be inclined to be more like that than the previous generations that they may be more inclined to look to the outside for explanations to why they're feeling the way they're feeling perhaps that has to do with you know the the really strong influences now externally you know in terms of media and all the different um influencers that are going on uh, compared to years ago and so you know people are really and i suppose globalization and how the world is getting smaller and smaller and yeah. you know we know so very quickly you know about things going on around the world and um that you know that perhaps explains it but i think people are usually when people come to me it they usually are thinking you know i just need to change my life and then i'll be all right and 
that's not really the case I'm sorry to laugh but yeah I, I get that so mm. much and yeah we do it I could do it at a snapshot some day go I need to change this and I go hold on a second why do you need to change this and they go oh, no, hold on a minute mm. it's not because of that. it's not because of this yeah and we, we too soon look on the outside isn't it that's right yeah and so the the answers lie from within actually it's an inside job yeah and that's very liberating when you you know when you cop onto that and when it really makes sense it means you've got great choices now brilliant yeah, it, it gives means, you control yeah and it means like no matter what's happening to you um you can you can work around it fantastic how do we measure it um just before you answer that question purely objective who would be better males or females uh, emotional intelligence uh-huh. so that's a great question isn't it and um i think everybody will probably like to think they're the best i think that the proper answer to that is 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 that that both genders are better at different aspects of it um i think it's 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 um the evidence would indicate that females have higher levels of empathy so they seem to be better at um understanding what other people are feeling however i'm going to say that you know there is some evidence that men are very good at is strategizing you know based on on um on on emotions and what's going on um, certainly I've done some research with um, surgeons and I've found that that female surgeons score very high on empathy and male surgeons score quite high in terms of managing, you know, being able to manage the sort of managing side of emotional intelligence. So uh, now on saying that, I wouldn't want to be very black and white about that because the whole area, the whole research area in emotional intelligence is emerging quite still quite a controversial one and it's it's very would be very hard for a sort of um somebody who's not very well versed in it to appreciate the evidence because there's lots of different ways of measuring it it's very controversial it's you know it's a it's a it's a baby area within psychology and always when there are new areas within psychology there has to be a bit of bit of a storming time when when you know people are kind of learning you know the ins and outs of it all and that happens always with all new areas you know there's a discovery time so we're definitely in the discovery time with regards to emotional intelligence it's some people would say it's one of the most controversial areas in psychology controversial yeah because there's so many different ways of uh, conceptualizing it and lots of you know and measuring it lots of disagreement in in the among the experts Wow, I find it fascinating. Mm. I think it's the vital key mm. to improving communications and relationships, and it's it's, the, oh, yeah. it's nearly like the the f- great foundation. Yeah, it's one of the building blocks. Absolutely, there's no disagreement about that. The disagreement is in how do we define it, how do we measure it, Um that's where the disagreement is is coming. Yeah, there's always that when you start putting in measurements, isn't it, and yeah. getting out the uh, millimeters. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, how do we improve it? Okay, so how do we get better at it? Yeah, yeah. So that's this is the good news. So yes, going back to we were talking about you know things that are inherited, and certainly there's very good evidence that your IQ is inherited. Um, now the environment can you know either depress it or enhance it uh, within that, but 
it's you know it's it's not as flexible if you like as eq so your eq your emotional quotient can um is very much something that you can develop and even you know it's quite likely even people just by listening to this podcast <coughs> will you know they, they it's possible make a nice little research project but it'd be possible that if you measured their emotional intelligence before they listened to the podcast and then measured afterwards you would see a change so in other words people just going to you know kind of self-development type workshops or reading books about it or anything like that enhances their self-awareness and begins the journey if you like of becoming more familiar with emotions putting names on them thinking about what you know what is behind a particular emotional response learning how to manage that better speaking about it sometimes you know if i'm working with people sometimes i might you know ask them to think of other ways of expressing emotions i mean that's basically what art is you know music and painting and any artistic creation cre- you know creativity that you can think of is all about expressing emotions um so any 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 kind of activity that enhances awareness is the is the key to enhancing your eq i have to say and i don't know if it's just a placebo effect but i follow uh, jack cornfield uh he's, he's a buddhist uh, kind of practitioner but he uh, has podcasts and youtube videos on love kindness meditation mm. and if i haven't been doing it for a while and i get back practicing it mm. for, for the first few days i feel absolutely amazing mm. it changes how i think and feel yeah and that's what mindfulness is about isn't it i mean it's the same kind of thing it's really just it's that introspection it's that just enhancing your awareness i think you know the more we're on autom- automatic pilot racing around the place um, the less emotionally aware we are absolutely mm. how do we stop the toilet seat argument in relationship you know compl- arguing about things that are not really the things that we're arguing about just do you know does that make sense yeah, what's that word you use there the, the toilet seat argument toilet seat the toilet seat sorry <laughs> like who left up the toilet seat when, oh, it's, right, not, right, right. when it's not really about that yeah okay so that that has to do with how I suppose emotionally self-aware you are and in a nutshell you know that's what psychotherapy is about you know really um that's what all of us therapists are working with people trying to you know enhance and maximize so it really has to do with you know when if you're having an argument with somebody is it really about this I think actually a red flag that I am I always ask people to think about and I I always find they always are able to answer this is if if you are having a strong emotional reaction to something always ask yourself does this feel over the top and if it feels over the top I can guarantee you it's not really about this it's about something else and it probably goes back to your early development you know like some people will will like look at something like road rage for example you know people get really angry at people doing something wrong you know out on the road so maybe switching lanes without indicating or you know trying to get in the front of queues or you know and and they go they find themselves getting you know absolutely enraged and beeping the horn and having arguments whatever what is that about that's probably about something you know that that was their experience perhaps a long time ago you know where the wrong thing was done or they were taken advantage of in some way and 
the other the perpetrator got away with it you know in inverted commas and so mm, they have a it's an injustice it's yeah an exactly quality somewhere or well, you have that one if they let somebody out and they don't acknowledge it or you get them right i'm like why did they not do that and then i go what's going on for me here exactly because obviously there's an inequality in my thought process as a kid yeah. say yeah yeah that's and i right. see it in work i see people arguing i go it's not about that it's yeah. not about what he's arguing about i just know it it's yeah. just it's about something else and yeah yeah well the key the key is is this over the top and if it is then it's got to do with something else because emotions are like i liken them to you know they're a bit like you know a fisherman's net and you can see all the little boys bobbing up and down on the water and you know underneath there's a connection between all those boys you know which is the net and it's like yeah and it's like that with emotions do you know it's we might be reacting to something so that's one boy but actually all the other boys are all there bobbing away you know having an impact on that one boy as in b-u-o-y do yeah. you know what i mean and so and they're all it's all strung together so you know we react to things according to these themes you know they're all connected wow so that's so i don't really have any arguments think about the boys in the pool <laughs> Can we, you talked in your presentation when you were in the National Rehabilitation Hospital about the implicit test. Yes. Give us a little insight into that. Okay, so that's a great project. So that's it's the implicit association test and it comes from Harvard. Still it's still there. It's if anybody Googles it, they'll get straight onto it um and you can get in and if you give your consent for your data to be used as part of the research, you can get in and you can use it. And um it is an impossible test to beat. And what it does is it tests um, whether or not you have very hidden, very implicit biases um, or prejudices um, against certain, what would we say, concepts, maybe is the right thing. So if you want to find out, you know, are you racist? Are you, do you, do you hold biases maybe against people with disabilities, maybe, you know, as I said, different different skin color. Maybe you know, are you biased against very thin people or very big people? Or there's a whole list of them. Um, wow! And, and this is all happening at a at a subconscious level. Exactly, exactly. And um, maybe old people versus young people. Um, and you cannot beat this website. You can go on. You can test yourself. It doesn't take long to do. And you can pick whichever one you want to test yourself on, and you will get the feedback and you'll be told how you compare you know to the general population so it's really really interesting uh, to I, I think I looked at it but I think I probably got scared I was afraid I might reveal something <laughs> because I work in disability I was like I hope they don't uh, turn you out see and that could happen because um you know I've I've done this with um with the doctors I teach and some of them have been quite shocked to discover that they do actually hold these biases um that they didn't realize and unfortunately, the evidence is that just knowing that you have the bias doesn't actually help much. You know, you will still make decisions will it? based on your biases and prejudices. Unfortunately, it's really hard to kind of get in under that. Uh, so the evidence isn't really very encouraging with that. You know, just knowing about them doesn't mean that we behave differently no. in, the, in the moment no. not having awareness can you not change your behavior mm, the evidence isn't very persuasive oh, i'm definitely not doing that test <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not a mirror i need to see today I know. Yeah. it's brilliant though isn't it yeah. it really 
if you want to get down and dirty with yourself yeah and know yourself at a, at a subconscious level go yes. do that test absolutely yeah go for it yeah <sighs> even i mean there's um i've i've watched some footage uh of the authors of the test and even the authors themselves who made the test um come out as biased you know so they can't even fool their own test um and so that's pretty I sorry they made it now like, <laughs> why did we create this that's pretty something okay so part of the human factors one of the big ones i looked at and it's something that i'm passionate about as well is is, is improving communications okay uh, how important is it to establish good communications for personal and professional okay relationships so, yeah it is it's massively important and, and there's why? an old science around this as well so we we just think about healthcare and the way doctors and clinicians uh, communicate with each other and with patients and families um there's some really amazing uh, research coming out now showing that communication is actually even more powerful than stand some standard medical treatments you know it's more powerful than some of the operations we might do on people it's more powerful than some of the medications um it has can have a really really beneficial effect if it's done right um and so it can for example it can uh it, it can predict if somebody is having a good experience from a communication perspective with their doctor they will um, be more likely to get better control over their blood sugars if they have diabetes. They'll be more likely to, they'll have less metabolic complications. They'll, um, they'll other, other patient groups, they'll much more likely to control their blood pressure. They won't experience as much pain after their surgery. Um, it's one of the best predictors of outcome um, in groups of patients with headache. Yeah. Um, yep. It shows it's the most powerful agent uh, to use with people who need to lose weight over and above anything else. Um, it will it will predict how people with asthma control their asthma. It's a really, really powerful thing um, to be a really good communicator. So what you're seeing happening now all over the world is people are cottoning on to this. So, for example, in Norway the government have mandated that every healthcare institution in Norway must uh, provide mandatory training in communication um, for healthcare workers. Um, in the States, in the US, it has taken on a whole new life, if you like, and doctors are being rated now on their communication skills and their payments are based on their ratings. So it actually matters to them financially. Um, wow! Here in Ireland, we can be quite proud of ourselves. The government here have just launched a pilot national healthcare communication strategy, and we've just rolled out. I'm involved in that, and we've rolled out some training in six pilot hospitals around the country, and we're going to roll that out countrywide, hopefully next year. Um, so you know, and with recent controversies about disclosing information and all of that we're going to include that as well i mean there's been a disclosure training program in existence for quite a while yeah I'm a deli i delivered that to staff in the hospital open Do disclosure you? yeah 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 with and angela uh, yeah that's yeah. right yeah, yeah i'm part of the team in the nih and I, I think the communication is the very start and you could say yeah. you have a lot of trouble absolutely and it's not maybe not down to human error but i mean a lot of it can be stop prevented yeah by good communication yeah um, yeah 
very famous studies in Minnesota in the States, you know, where they saved millions of dollars by making it mandatory to um, train people to disclose errors and then making it mandatory that they actually did that and did it well. Because what you find is, is that people then, contrary to what is believed, people will actually not take legal action if they feel they've been communicated with well. Um, whereas I think the belief is, is that, well, if we don't say anything, I'm probably saying it a bit too black and white here, but there's a fear that if we if we tell people things that that will, you know, encourage them to to go the legal route, whereas actually the evidence is totally the opposite. So so this is a huge area that is exploding. And I think what's the big message I think here is is uh, is that effective communication is not intuitive. There are skills you can use which we do not use in everyday life. We do not communicate in these ways with each other um, in, in our normal everyday relationships. So there are things, I mean, probably if we did, it might make life a bit easier, um, but it, they are not things that we do. So for example, if you're going to tell somebody about anything, you know, and this might seem so obvious when, when you hear me say it out loud, but it's amazing how we don't do this. If you're going to explain anything to anybody, the most important thing to do is to find out where they're coming from before you even begin. So, you know, if you're going to explain something to somebody, I don't know, let's say I was going to sit down and talk to somebody about depression. You know, the first thing I should say to them is, tell me what you know already. You know, what what is your understanding of depression? What kind of experience of you, you know, of it have you had? Um, and oftentimes what you find is, is that actually they've lots of information and that immediately saves you loads of time. Um, I think the big argument that you'll hear in healthcare is, oh, we don't have time to communicate properly. And in fact, the problem there is, is that we're we're actually not using our time very efficiently. You know, we're 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 not going about the whole interaction process in a, in a systematic way, and then we waste time then, as you know, because of that. Um, so that'd be one example. Another example is is I think, and again, this is not something we might do in our everyday relationships, but. We're not great at demonstrating to people that we understand the impact of something on them. So we're not very good at, it's often called the elephant in the room. You know, we're not very good at saying, you know, I can see this is really difficult for you. I can see this is really hard. I can see this is really causing you a lot of upset. Um, or I can see you're really annoyed about this. You know, we don't mention the emotions. It goes back to the emotional intelligence thing, doesn't it? They're quite linked, aren't they? Very much so. I We're quite good at, um, at knowing that somebody is feeling something. However, we don't often take the couple of seconds to actually just say that out loud. And very often, the reason why people can be so demanding and, and maybe feel quite difficult to us is because... They, that's what they're looking for us you know to do they're looking for us to show them um that that we get it that we know that it's awful to have to sit in a waiting room for nine hours you know that it's awful to be on a waiting list for a year and a half you know that it's awful to have to um put up with having broken your ankle and now you'll never run in a marathon again you know whatever it is mm. you know that yeah 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 we get it we can see how frustrating it is how depressing it is how difficult it is um, and that's a huge um, that makes such a massive difference when we do that and it only takes 
seconds to do. And in fact, when you look at interactions between doctors and patients, and they've done this, what they find is is that if a doctor is going to be empathic at all, they usually wait till towards the end of the conversation. You know, they might say at the very end, look, I know this is really hard and, you know, you're in the right place and we'll do the best for you. And But there'll be, there will have been lots of opportunities from the very start to do that. But doctors, I think, usually think, oh, I'm not going to go down that road right now because I've got so many other important things to say. Okay. So I'm going to wait and I'm going to say it at the end. That's if they, you know, go as far as thinking like that. Whereas if they take the opportunity from the very start, so the patient comes in and says, oh, doctor, I'm not getting on well. And if the doctor says, oh, I'm really sorry, you know, to hear that, that's terrible. Tell me more. Um, in fact, the conversations are much, much shorter, contrary to what might be thought. Much, much shorter, up to 20% shorter um, and up to 20% better satisfaction ratings, 20% better adherence to recommendations, you know, all kinds of benefits. So much more likely for them to go ahead, go along then and, and do whatever it is is being recommended. So, you know, there's an international organization that I'm part of. It's called EACH, uh, E-A-C-H. It used to be European and now it's international. So that's what the E is. It's used to be European. But they've now contracted with some health economists because we want to actually show that good communication can save money. And we're hoping that that will, you know, fuel fuel the 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 resources if you like fuel the the campaign you know to to improve communication uh, in healthcare it's so obvious you think that uh, I, to me it's just it's key it's again like the emotional intelligence it mm. should be at the the foundation of you know any kind of business any kind of service any kind of mm. that people thing mm. the communication should be really good and it's interesting that you said that it's not something that it's a skill we have I've had to develop it mm. I went off and done course and leadership and my own mental health training all that and I've had to change how I think and talk mm. Mm. and listen mm. but also appreciate and understand where the other person is coming from mm. how they how they need the information to be given to them where they're at how they operate as a person I think I've done this thing called behavioural propensity profile Mm. and looks how people operate in communication actions project work and that to me gave me a great insight to communicating effectively because yeah. as i said to you earlier a lot of my relationships personally and professionally have broke down through i think the communication okay. i don't think either were right or wrong i think yeah. it was we both were, were not on the same page yeah it's the communication is can and that's where that's why it obviously it can feel so complex because you know people can feel really lost and but i mean a good rule of thumb you know if you are lost is often you know to say i'm lost here you know i, I really don't know what what to do and i can see you're really upset and you know that can often work wonders even if you can't find the solution yeah what would you say are the the common mistakes that most people make when it comes down to breakdown in, in relationships and work and pairs life in the communication sector it, you've 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 said it really yourself there the one thing um you know when i used to work with couples um you know what used to come up every single time is although the each part of the couple each member each individual felt that the other person didn't understand them they felt that um they were feeling you know totally different than the other person they were like chalk and cheese and they were poles apart and there was like massive gaps you know between them 
Uh, in actual fact, what was really um, often a bit of a light bulb moment was when um, I would hopefully help them to realise that actually they were both feeling the exact same. And they didn't understand that in each other. Wow. It, it looked different, but actually it's the exact same. And that they had incredible potential to understand each other from that perspective. Because all they had to do is just think, right, well, if I'm feeling X, Y, and Z, the other person's feeling X, Y, and Z, well, I know what that's like. It's actually the same. So. And then you go, it's that simple. Mm, I but think everything can flow from that once you realize that you have the potential to understand this incredibly perplexing, frustrating person that you're with. <laughs> yeah. That actually they're, they're feeling the same as you. That might sound a bit simple, but I mean, there can be complexities to all of that. But yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's kind of a bottom line. What are the important aspects of effective communication? So like what I was saying, always figure out you know who are you who are you communicating with find out where they're coming from that's number one do that first um find out what kind of place they're in what kind of space they're in what do they know what do they want to know do they even want to have this conversation with you are you on the same page in terms of um you know do you do you both understand what this conversation is going to be about have you got a kind of an agenda you know set the agenda agree what it is it's going to be around make sure you know you have agreement there um try not to overload people with too much information you know and and always you know if you're delivering something do that take a pause see how that's being received go on then with the next bit you know it's a process it doesn't all have to be done in five minutes you know it can take a bit of time we try to rush it don't we try to yeah. get a point across we we don't we don't listen to understand we listen to well yeah we don't listen i've got a lovely exercise that i do with people which comes from um american indians and um the way they used to manage conflict um they would use what they call an indian talking stick and so the indian talking stick is where and you can use anything i mean you could use a phone or a cup or a you know a pencil doesn't have to be a fancy indian talking stick but who if you're having a conversation the person who's holding the stick gets to say their piece and the other person must listen and what they have to do is they have to then repeat back what the person has said before they're allowed to say their side of it and they must repeat that back to the other person's satisfaction before they get the stick and before they can say their bit and then it's the other person's turn and they must now listen and they must say what they think the other person has said and if you think about it like really good negotiators they're very good at doing this they often will say something like okay so can i just check what you've said now so is it that you are saying that you don't agree with what we're proposing because xyz is that what you're saying the other person goes yep that's it and what's really amazing is is that the other person now feels listened to they feel vindicated. Absolutely. They're going to relax a little bit. They're going to be more open to compromise. And for the person who's doing the listening, they've had to concentrate because what they realize when you do this exercise with people, people always realize, oh, my goodness, I don't listen. This really made me listen because I knew I was going to have to repeat it back afterwards. So it made me concentrate. Love it. And so it shows us that we don't listen. You know, we're just waiting for the other person to uh, stop talking so we can say what we want to say 
as on the I done a leadership course and on and we done this about dialogue mm. and we had to we did this exercise and uh, to stop you from uh, what's called reloading so as you're talking I'm not listening to you yeah. I'm just thinking about what yeah. I want to say back to you that's right and that was again that was like a light bulb moment to me yeah. when I heard this I went yeah. Jesus I do that and then I watch other people and work on her talk and I'm going to go she's just going to whack back whatever she's thinking and not really listen to me yeah it's have you come across that? Oh yeah. Well, that's exactly right because we d- we you know inherently everything you know. This is we don't like to think this, but we, you know we we relate to the world really from our own perspective. You know, it's really it's all about us really. You know, bottom line. So it's all about me. It's all about me, and so you know when we are so called listening, we're not really, as you say, we're just you know thinking about what we're going to say when the other person has has stopped talking. So. It's trying to, you know, get around that. I think as well, there's another good thing to do always is is always to check at the end after you've had a conversation that you're both going away with the same, um, the same message, if you like. I mean, I think as children, we all played that game, Chinese whispers, because, you know, the way a story can, can change as you go along. And when you when it gets retold to five people, it doesn't sound at all like the story at the very start. Yeah. So it's about, you know, trying to check, you know, and sort of what I always do is I you know I, I might say something to somebody like now you know you're probably going to go back now to your manager or you're going to go back to your family or you're going to go back to your colleague or whatever it is and you're going to tell them what we've been talking about you know and I'm interested to hear you know what is it that you're going to be saying to them and so it's a way of checking whether they they are going away with the same message as you have because going back to patients and, and doctors you know they've They've done that, you know. They've interviewed patients after a consultation, and and then they've interviewed the doctors also, and sort of said, "So, what's the plan? You know, what did you agree?" And what you find is, is that yeah, there's fifty percent disagreement, you know, between patients and and doctors. So, you know, so we have to work better at at uh, getting getting us all on the same page and getting the agreement up. Can I just go back to something you said earlier about the program you said that was coming about with the HSE? Yeah. What What does that look like? What is it, I'm just interested in it because I'm thinking that's something I'd probably love to do. Yeah. What does it look like? What is involved? What's the, the, the meat and bones of it? So at the moment, it's being rolled out for the 40 acute hospitals. And I think your hospital isn't one of them, unfortunately. Hopefully it will be rolled out to all the others. But um, And it has followed the patient experience survey. So the HSE started a patient experience survey last year. They was the first time they did it. And um, it's a great website, actually, patientexperience.ie. And um, they asked every single inpatient for the month of May um, to fill out a questionnaire, sent it to them by post, and they asked them to post it back. So they got over 50%, just over 50% response rate, which is pretty good for a postal survey. Um, and they so about 13,000 people and then they've done it again the results just came out last week they did it again for 2018 and what they discovered was that there were you know two big areas of concern that patients have and the first one is communication you know it's it's kind of about 50 50 you know sort of 50 percent of people are reasonably happy um, it's greater from the point of view of the way they answer the actual set questions. But when you look at their comments, there's more rich information in that. It's a, it's about 50-50. But um, they, and the other thing they're not happy about in hospitals, and I think there's been some newspaper articles about this lately, is the level of nutrition in the hospitals, you know, not being up to scratch. 
So I know there are committees now have been established um, over the year um, to try and improve that. And but the, the communication has been identified by patients, you know, to be not what it could be in their minds, particularly all around the area of the discharge planning, going home um, what's what's important to look out for. What what are you supposed to do if this happens, if that happens? What kind of supports are there out there in the community? You know, huge amount of confusion all around that area. So, um, and also comments, you know, even during the admission, comments about getting the right kind of information, being able to understand the information. Um, so, yeah, so there are, you know, there are things that can be done uh, to improve that and they don't necessarily um, take a lot of time, you know, to change, as we've said before. Mm. So we've rolled out these um training courses um ranging from 90 minute ones so nice and quick and therefore everybody who works in a hospital uh to um three hour courses for say people who would be you know very frontline healthcare workers you know nurses and doctors and um all the allied healthcare professionals and that's much more about you know gathering information giving information and the tricks of the trade that you can employ you know to make that as efficient and so we've rolled that out and got really good reactions so we're going to roll it out now hopefully next year on a much larger scale and then we also want to go further and go you know have some courses on difficult conversations on disclosure because um i think it's recognized it's one thing to have the knowledge about disclosure which is the training courses there now but it's having the opportunity to practice and rehearse disclosure. You know, that takes another bit of time to learn. You know, it's one thing to have the information. That's really important. But you also have to uh, be given the opportunity, I think, to practice that. Absolutely. I see disclosure as the it's the black run, you know, to use the skiing analogy. You know, it's the black run of communication. It is the hardest thing to do. Because you're telling somebody that something has not gone right, you know, you're t- and if you're involved with that yourself, you're going to be very emotional about that. And that's it's so much harder to do that than to even tell somebody they have a terminal illness, um, you know, because you're going to be emotionally involved and it's very, very tricky. And it might even be you're not even the right person to do it because you are so emotionally involved. You know, so it's really, really complicated. So, um, but the skills are the same. But you, as as in the same way that when you ski down a black run, or if you go off piste, you know, you are still using the skills you learnt on the nursery slopes, but you're using them with much greater emphasis. So you have to lean more into the mountain. You have to, you know, press down harder. You have to do all those kinds of things, um, that you learnt on the nursery slopes. And it's the exact same with disclosure. You're using the same basic principles, but much more emphasis taking much more time probably um and focusing on them you know with mm. you know greater thought um so th- but they are the same skills wow sounds interesting mm. as i say it's a it's a, it's a huge uh, interest in mind the communication yeah for the open disclosure any kind of trying to do the core concept is the communication it's it's, it's yeah it's like it's it's glaringly obvious, but it couldn't be that easy, could it? And we could we could save so much problems and money yeah. if we developed that skill set. Yeah, completely. Yeah, no, and and I mean it's it, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because 
we are social beings. We achieve so much by working together. And, you know, it is said that that's why Homo sapiens survived, whereas the other species like the Neanderthals didn't because they were lo loners. And so we survived because we existed in groups and yeah, because we achieved things in groups. And so, you know, our communication is our currency. You know, it's the currency of, of working together and, you know, teamwork. Did you read that teamwork. book, Sapiens? No, I haven't. My children have. I've yeah, yet I, to get to it. I have it on uh, audio books, you know, yeah. the audible things. Very good. Mm -hmm. Very, very good. And it touches on just what it's you said that. there. Yeah, People yeah. got together, you know, to yeah. commu and communication was keeping them all together and how yeah. they, they come up with religions or different color flags to, to have united, to yeah. keep them united. And, yeah. And to survive yeah. it's fascinating yeah yeah what's the one thing you would like people to take away from this interview after listening to you whether it be uh, emotional intelligence communication what is it you like them to take away from this interview i'm going to say and if anybody knows me they'll be smiling i'm, I'm going to say um the skill of demonstrating empathy you know if we could do that more and more i think we would solve a lot so in other words when you are what I would say to listeners is when you are talking to somebody and it's a difficult conversation in whatever way, ask yourself, what is this other person feeling? And can I say that out loud? So can I say I can see you're upset? Can I say I can see you're annoyed? Can I see, you know, you're really frustrated? Um, can I say, oh, that's terrible that you had such a tough day? Um, and I think if we did that more, um, we would make things so much easier. Absolutely. And again, back to emotion. I think mm. empathy is a huge piece. Mm. And I find and I've found if I'm empathetical towards myself, mm. I'm better with the rest of the world. Yep. What's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, absolutely. And uh, I think... That's another issue, actually, it's a favourite topic of mine, which is the whole area of self-criticism and being really hard on ourselves. And I think the tragedy of being, if you like, being a really concerned and conscientious person is that you can you have you're in danger of being very tough on yourself. And on top of that, you're in danger of being very tough on others. And I think, you know, um, the really, say, concerned parents or the really concerned spouses, the ones who really worry, there's an awful risk that they will come across as critical, um, you know, to the other person. Um, and, I, and, I, and it'll seem really, it'll seem so negative, but yet it's coming from such a good place, if you like. The other person, you know, is really concerned, really worried, you know, it's, has got all the right motives, but the worry is coming out as criticism. You know, it's a bit like I often use the example of, you know, you have the little the little boy or girl who won't bring his coat to school or her coat to school. And the parent is really worried that, you know, he or she is going to be cold in the playground and they end up having a big argument. And, you know, it all feels really negative and horrible, you know, for the child. But it's all based on, on concern, yeah. you know, from the parent's point of view. And that can happen in so many different ways. Yeah. Wow. So the take home message is uh, practice empathy. Practice empathy. Yep. Say it out loud. Mm -hmm. The elephant in the room. We, 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 we struggle with the elephant in the room, don't we? The <laughs> subconscious or the the, un, uh, the unsaid things, mm. you know. Okay, so look, anything else that you'd love to share with any epiphanies, 
if not we'll 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 wrap it up gosh i can't think of anything right now I, i'm sure i can't get any more <laughs> out of you yeah absolutely right. thanks very much for sharing your time and your knowledge and your wisdom i'm delighted to have spent the time with you i'm sure people will get what i got out of it personally and professionally it was amazing, amazing. thanks matt it was good it was great great to go over everything dr eva doherty thanks very much for coming on the show thank you okay so there wraps up another tremendous interview as always i'd like to thank me supports noel royley from rooney media noel has been in the graphic design business the last 20 years and producing quality work for the last couple of years they've been the chief graphic design for the college prospectus at ucd and um, i've been using his services the last i don't know 10 15 years producing posters for health and fitness stuff and always always produce quality work so check those guys out also my old pal carolyn harvey from isa nutrition for anybody interested in dropping body fat gaining muscle maintaining a healthy body weight getting rid of some nutritional ailments she's your woman if you're also interested in competing bodybuilding competition male or female i would recommend her i am currently working with carolyn harvey and the success has been phenomenal I have done a review already and I plan to do more. But if nutrition and strength condition, that area is something that you'd like to get coaching or advice on, I would check it out. And the prices are really, really good, really good, better than a lot that's out there. So I recommend you check her out. Also, Miel Crew, Kevin Doyle, sound editing and just producing and just support. Absolutely legend, Kevin. And Miel, mate, Aaron Kyo, social media. Lads, these are brilliant. The team, uh, would be lost without you okay so that just leaves me to thank my listeners thanks a lot for listening i will urge you please 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 share this with family and friends we're on itunes soundcloud spotify all the kind of podcasts mediums that are out there we're we're on them right the way across we also have a youtube channel and so check us out on that please go on to itunes please subscribe please leave a delicious review we love it absolutely love it so that's all the plugging I'm going to do for this podcast. As always, I will say to you, please show yourself compassion. Please spend some time with love and kindness in your life. Because if you are kind and loving to yourself, you will project that to the rest of the world. And if we can all could do that a small percentage of our day, the place would be a nice, nice place to live. Right, wherever you are in the world, mind yourself. Have a great day. Bye-bye.